everyone back to our next podcast session and of course with Phil is we're back again to answer some hard questions about Q&A today. So we've got quite an exciting informative Restore and Revitalize series. So this is our first installment with series and it is the Restore of course today. Before we can revitalize we often need to do a bit of restoration work. So often this is no easy task used to doing, always being so busy and not realising the true impact of our health much later on. But how do we find that inner reset button and live more in balance or at least more aligned and benefit from our work-life relationships and set ourselves up to thrive rather than just survive? We're speaking with Phil again for some check-in and some more confirmation on herbal profiles for inclinic use. Kia ora, Phil. How are you? Kia ora, Charlene. I'm well, thank you. <laughs> good, good. Good to be back again on Zoom for our next podcast record. <laughs> yeah, it's all on spring here in Aotearoa at the moment, so yeah, it's a wonderful time. Oh, have. it is, isn't it? It's been like the typical yeah. four seasons and one day we have the winds, the sunshine, the rain, and then sometimes the hail and the snow, depending on where you are. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, one of our exciting questions for today, or the very first exciting question is, I know we've touched on this as we've gone throughout our different podcasts, but just more of a direct focus now about the restorative properties of phytotherapy. Can you tell us from all your amazing experience and that deeper experience within clinic, typically how soon before we begin to notice the effect of phytotherapy? And although we know this is very individual, of course, how quickly would we typically see our key restorative herbs working for those with overwhelmed, intense feelings of stress, anxiety, and tension. We know we're living through currently the age of anxiety, right? At the moment, it is more prevalent than ever. Uh, your thoughts here and um, on the action and the quickness of what we can expect from some of our key herbs. Cool. Okay, thanks, Charlene. So, yeah, thanks, when it comes well. to um, restorative herbs and the treatment or management of conditions such as anxiety and stress, um, the, the herbs that we use are hugely diverse. They work in multiple different ways um, and we select them according to the individual patient, obviously. And every single patient is different. And, and as you say, the response that each patient incurs from the same mix can be very, very different. Um, but when you have a, a patient come to you and they need some restorative herb help or uh, adaptogenic help or anxiolytic help, it's often a, a matter of compounding the formulation, working out the formulation in your head as you consult with them, as you listen to them and their needs, and, and you're thinking, I think in most cases, we're thinking short-term, medium-term, and long-term. You know, because an appropriate treatment or management plan for stress doesn't just involve one or the other. It has to involve here and now, immediate needs, um, short, uh, medium-term, and long-term. And, of course, the anxiolytics or the relaxant herbs or the sedative herbs are those that we use that, that do work really quickly. There's absolutely no reason why they shouldn't work quickly. And, in fact, we need them to work quickly. One of the biggest myths around herbal medicine, in my view, is that it takes a long time to work. And, unfortunately, Dr. Google and others uh, perpetrate that myth. And patients will come to you often very, very anxious and, and worried that it's going to take a long time before they'll see any benefit. And that is not the case. That should not be the case, provided you use appropriate doses of the right anxiolytic um, short-acting herbs um, alongside the other herbs. So um, 
you know, if you use herbs like kava and valerian and passionflower and skullcap or hops or skullcia, all, all of those anxiolytic herbs um, in the right dose and situation, people should get relief within an hour or two because the phytochemical absorption um, and mechanisms of action are not that dissimilar to, to um, anxiolytic drugs and, you know, uh, barbiturates or alcohol or other so-called central nervous system depressant drugs. But then, yeah, yeah so, that's the short term anyway. Yeah. I mean, Phil, this is brilliant in the sense of, you know, just confirmation for all the practitioners out there that I'm sure that they go along and still thinking that short, medium and long term. It's a very logical model of approach, isn't it, of encompassing a whole holistic picture of care for the patient, right? So the immediate and then into the longer term, obviously your things that you're treating with will change, right? Your herbs will change as the person changes and their needs change. Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, the, the medium term to me basically is where adaptogens really come into their own. Um, and, and I never treat a patient with stress or uh, restoration needs without incorporating an adaptogen or two. And, and yet they don't they don't work as quickly as the anxiolytics and, mm-hmm. and a lot of herbs are both adaptogenic and anxiolytic. So medium term is kind of where they really dominate. Longer term is really diverse and it really depends on the individual. Often it's lifestyle recommendations or lifestyle changes that the patient needs to make, such as reducing alcohol intake or substance dependency issues, getting further assistance or counselling for some relationship stress and and making dietary changes. So, you know, I I actually do tend to use the same adaptogens quite long term in patients Mm -hmm. when they work. And, and we all have our favourites, don't we? Um, yes, yeah, also Favourite cat. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Also, as you say, you know, when patients' needs change, you can also change the, the makeup of, of the formula, of course, yeah. Yeah, sometimes that's needed, but like yourself, it, sometimes you are just on a set course of herbs because they work so well and they're working well, so why would you change it then, right? It's just reassessment at those touching points, isn't it? Which is why our follow-ups are so important, right? Uh, getting yep. those follow-up consults is so important. Um, it doesn't just stop at the initial. <laughs> we need to have that follow-on care, don't we, with our patients and encourage them to foster that relationship and realize the importance of that with us as we go along (laughs) our second question here is touching on our beautiful restorative herbs and adaptogens that we know we favor so much because they just you're right they need to be there in the formula but then sometimes they're not always the immediate reliever but they need to be there because they have that true restorative nature right of helping carry you along and then helping with the recovery right which is ideal we want that long-term recovery people to get better results and outcomes but like with Anya, which there's other ones that offer much more sedative effects and with annual help with the resilience and recovery alongside other herbs as well and adaptogens like american ginseng in your view, what is the most ideal long-term approach? Just touching on that a bit more to support restoration, like true nervous system restoration and neuro, neuronal changes and plasticity in the brain and recovery there for neurotransmitters and brain health. And why giving that all-important quick essential relief that's needed for the patient? So that long-term approach and then also how does that blend in really well with the quick acting herbs like in your opinion what do we do there yeah I mean as we talked about I think in in a previous podcast adaptogens are absolute heroes of herbal medicine they're Mm -hmm. one of the most important um, (laughs) things we have in our toolkit in, in terms of a class of herbs and how they work pharmacologically 
And yet we're still just really starting to touch the edge of all the incredible diverse actions that they have. You know, the more research we do, the more we find exciting things. You know, they're cancer protective. They're, they help your new neurons to restore. They help neuroblasts to, to, uh, to grow and new rights to, to uh, regenerate. You know, so nerve cells that are being damaged by prolonged stress or acute stress or brain injury or Parkinson's even. Um, you know, these adaptogenic and neuroprotective herbs can really nurture and, and, and feed and foster the ability of, of the brain or the whole nervous system to regenerate and regrow and therefore um, help you and your overall nervous system to cope better with stress or, um, you know, better manage some of the stuff that is going on. So they work in multiple ways. Um, and I'm not going to pretend that I know how, um, but... In terms of duration of use, I have absolutely no um, misgivings about giving pretty well all adaptogenic herbs to my patients long, long term. Even American ginseng, actually, um, which is not that dissimilar to Panax ginseng, you know, the Korean or Chinese ginseng, the, the archetypal original uh, adaptogen. Um, I do give it long term to a large number of my cancer patients or elderly patients who might have had cancer or are just really washed out and fatigued due to life experiences. Um, and it just gives them that extra little bit of energy and probably helps protect against cancer, um, enables their nervous system to just keep functioning for as long as possible. And so as we all know, herbs are, are foods as well. You know, what's a herbal medicine? What is um, a food? Um, the overlap is, is uh, there's no defined boundary. And so I don't see any reason why we wouldn't give these things long-term because in clinical trials, we, we know that they are in fact incredibly safe. Um, So-called tolerance that you read about again, sometimes on Dr. Google for herbs like echinacea and a little bit around methania. I, I think there's absolutely no evidence that that actually occurs in clinical practice. Um, giving strong adaptogens in too high a dose in young, healthy people uh, for long periods of time, though, experientially and traditionally is generally not advised, um, but it really, really depends, you know, but somebody with an acute fever um, or an acute infection, you probably shouldn't give them a strong adaptogen like that, Panax ginseng uh, or Panax concophonium or, or Shazandra short term, but that's very rare. But yeah, I think long-term, why wouldn't you? You know, we need to ensure that our patients do take these things long-term. Absolutely. Yeah, and to ensure um, better outcome for them, right, for, for their health needs and for their mental well-being as well. And also often these things are longer-term, aren't they? Those stresses don't go away overnight to people. So, I mean, we know that ourselves as practitioners and also being human, <laughs> that, you know, stress doesn't disappear like that, dissipate quickly. Sometimes you're seeing people at the very end of a chronic stress or exhaustion problem. And it's going to take a while to you know, get that back under control, that management, right? And try to find those changes that work for you. And it's a little bit of trial and error as well. So we're in it for the long term, typically, aren't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we ideally want to avoid um, getting to that exhaustion stage. You know, you of get your course. initial stage with adrenaline and the secondary stage with too yes. much cortisol and, Know, the key of effective herbal treatment is prevention more than treatment is 
what we can also do. But when people do get to that exhaustion stage, as well as the lifestyle changes they often need and the withdrawal from life as usual, there are some great herbs that help them replenish. Yeah. And the reality is that we're often seeing people at that end, aren't we? Because sometimes we're not the first choice or the first place of <laughs> um, for the person to go and see. And often, you know, they may have exhausted other avenues and then they seek us. And so often we are picking up people that had years or months of being a certain way. So that takes longer too, doesn't it? That gives us a longer recovery time immediately for the person. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, all too often, yes, herbal medicine is the last resort. We're, mm. we're there at the bottom of the cliff. <laughs> yes, the ambulance. The cliff. Due to all sorts of reasons, political, regulatory, economically, educationally, yes. conditionally, <laughs> you know, there's, there's all sorts of reasons for that. But um, the mixed know, bag. therapy is, <laughs> is coming into its own in the 21st century. I, I agree. I think that's changing, isn't it? We're seeing a change there. People are being more proactive. People yep, are being yep. more like, I don't want to get sick. I want to look after myself now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. That's, that's, how we, that's how we'd like it ideally to be so we can help them most of all. Uh, this follows into our next question really well, Phil, for today. Can we typically give those big, big hearty doses of carver or California poppy and valerian for those hard to treat cases over a longer time frame? And I know this is a question that a lot of practitioners feel is relevant for those hard hitting you know, anti-anxiety herbs such as those. And then I guess we can, you know, throw in a few more there, passionflower and Jamaican dogwood. What is your experience here? Can, can we give those hard to treat cases a longer time frame with those type of big hitting herbs? What, what do you think? Absolutely. Um, I mean, dose is an incredibly important component of clinically effective herbal medicine. And it's a very under-regarded component of effective herbal medicine. And I've, I've written blogs about it. We've given lectures on it um, many times in the past. And it's one of the most common causes of, of failure in clinical practice, I think, or, or an effective outcome for the patient is um, a subtherapeutic dose. And that relates to a whole range of parameters. It relates, obviously, to product quality. Um, if you're using a, a product that is low in, in levels of the phytochemicals that are integral to its clinical efficacy, then of course you're going to need a higher dose or you're not going to get the right outcome. But yeah, herbs that are used for um, anxiety and stress, um, insomnia, those things in particular are often underdosed in my experience. And that is due to all sorts of reasons. Uh, the clinic, the, the, treat, the uh, teaching of herbal medicine has a lot to be desired, I think. It really varies from one jurisdiction, one country to another, the view on dose, although things are becoming a little bit more um, talked about globally now, which is really good. You know, there's, a, there's an active discussion going on about this. But, you know, Rudolf Weiss, for instance, who was the, the German um, clinician, he was a physician, a doctor who, uh, you know, worked a lot um, on the front, the Russian front um, for the German army, and then he was captured by the Russian army or the, the Soviets in World War II. He, I always remember a comment that he made about valerian dose in his book, Herbal Medicine, which is that uh, you need more than 10 to 20 drops. You need substantially more or significantly more, I think he said. And that's, that really summarizes my experience with valerian. You know, most of my patients I give valerian to for a, for a sedative, um, for a nightcap, um, need 10 to 15, even 20 mils. You know, one or two drops or 10 drops does not cut it. And, and it's the same with passion flowers, the same with skullcap, um, the skulksia, California poppy, all of them really. You, you do need quite decent doses. 
Kava is, I think, probably one of the best acute anti-anxiety herbs for people who really need to just chill out and, and calm down and, and you know relax so they can then restore. Um, and so the dose needs there don't tend to be as high as they do for herbs such as valerian. And yet I've got a patient, I, I have a number of patients who, who regularly take more than 100 mils of carb a week. To me, that's what they need. You know, it's either that or they'll be back on 10, 15 milligrams a day of uh, diazepam. And I think the, the safety of carbo in that dose is so much better than, than the diazepam. And it's what that individual needs. And generally, it seems to be safe. There's no known adverse events that these people get from it. Um, why wouldn't you? You know, um, and the clinical trials validate that safety as well. So don't be afraid to muck around with dose. And you often do need to go quite high, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say for some of these anxiolytic herbs in particular. Thanks, Phil. That's really, I think, important and will be a key point for people to take away from today's podcast is that some reassurance there and some extra information on dosage and how to govern that with some of our top anti-anxiety herbs. Um, now, always a hard question, I know, but we do like to ask you this one, of course, um, just to gain a little bit more insight into, um, you know, the herbs that are used and preferred by yourself and just in clinic. What are your top favourites or quick relief? We know carb is obviously one, just your holy grail for use in clinic. They work quickly for their symptomatic relief, such as anxiety, but also provide beautiful restorative action. We know that you've given us some good hints today with Anya Carver. We know that you're top of your list there, Phil. What are the other three that you would add in that are a little bit of your all-time favourites there? Yeah, you're, you're right. All three of those are really important. Um, St John's Wort has to be there, of course, because depression or a low mood <laughs> is often an outcome of, of long stress. Yes, um, and, and so I important. use bucket loads of it. Um, it is <laughs> Good to know. Yes, no, that's incredibly it's safe hard. herb. You know, I, I use so much on my patients. It, it's it's one that again, like ashwagandha, I'd hate to be without. And yes. it's interesting. You know, these all grow really well in my garden. Lemon balm is another one. You know, and it's oh, just so nice yes. this time of year watching the lemon balm grow next to the St John's Wort <laughs> in synergy together. The, the is still something. only that high, unfortunately. <laughs> They're little babies, but. Ah. Um, doesn't grow well here in Auckland in, in my wet garden, I think. No, it doesn't, uh, does But it? the valerian yeah. is coming away there in the background. It's a little bit like wow. a like a, a horse race, you know. You've got your yeah, who's getting there first? <laughs> Which one's going to win in the end? It's a team. It's a whole team of different herbs working mm-hmm. together. And, and that summarises the general approach to people who need restoring with their whole yeah, system. restoring, I think. Yeah, yeah. You can rely just on one and, and you do have your favorites, but it's much better to, to have a number at your, at your disposal. And lemon balm would certainly be one of my favorites, along with the carba and the valerian, obviously, and the St. John's War. Um, valerian I use also as an adaptogen and particularly in older people. You know, I think it's incredible, really. Um, you know, it helps with memory and, and mice, you know, and aged mice. It helps. Uh, people who have had, there's a clinical trial showing that it helped people who had had cardiac surgery um, recover cognitively uh, quicker than the placebo group. So when you've had, you know, your heart cut open and, and things happen, obviously your, your brain function is not quite as sharp as it was for a period of time. Now, valerian really improved the, the outcome so much quicker than the placebo group. So valerian is more than just a sedative. You know, it is an amazing herb. I, I really love it. 
Um, but so do so I, I also love my my skull cats, my holy basil, my rosemary, even kawakawa. You know, I think it's probably adaptogenic, um, stress um, resisting properties to it. Thank you for that wonderful informative bag of beautiful um, botanicals. Um, lovely to know that little tip about valerian. I'm sure that will be fascinating for people to know. We have to remember that. Yeah, it's not just living its life as a sedative that may you know have a new life and new lease on life as an adaptogen and you know, the skull caps and the lemon balms, not to forget their beautiful effect on relaxation and nerve system restorative properties that they carry. Um, so that's some valuable information there. Hopefully everyone listening today, some little super tips there to start utilising in clinic alongside their already favourites maybe or their everyday favourites. Just finishing up on our last question for today, and I guess you've already told us what your key restorative herbs are there for vitality, nervous system recovery, mood and panic support and for chronic anxiety disorders. What else would you add to our discussion today around the ongoing phytotherapy and part of the longer recovery or management picture? Is there anything else that you've found of value, whether it's through herbs or whether it's just through in clinic experience that helps, you know, in this mixed bag of treating people and helping with that optimal outcome? Yeah, I think everyone's different. Starting with that premise and ending with it at the end of the consult is actually quite useful sometimes and we're not counsellors we're not um you know life coaches we're not you know relationship advisors or whatever but you know often it is appropriate to put into the mix there some diplomatic advice or counsel around what else that person could do and secondly um a, a growing proportion of our patients particularly those who are stressed Partly they're stressed, I think, because they've become disconnected with nature and how we're meant to live as human beings over a long period of time. I mean, they're stressed because they're out of sync, they're out of alignment with nature and the world, you know? And so as well as things like mindfulness, which can be hugely valuable, so can growing one or two plants, particularly plants, herb, you know, herbal medicines that you can also benefit from as an individual so you know I really like being able to offer some of my patients a little um, lemon balm or St John's wort or you know something that they can take home with them um, when I'm able to see them face to face or I can you know leave in their letterbox and they can grow themselves and watch it grow and then in the future cut it and use it themselves as part of their overall treatment so you know that that is a good tool to just help them in a way this growing proportion of patients to reconnect with with nature and and reconnect with self-care rather than just this fast-paced stressful world that, that we increasingly have to live in that hands-on approach feels so essential for our well-being isn't it you know nourishes us and i think you know for more than ever in our current global situation and in new zealand here where we too are part of you know this <laughs> reset that reset can have a gift in it in the sense of we get to then reassess what is and isn't working for us and you know herbs can be a big picture or a big helpful hand can't they in the right direction in regards to you know when you use them and you realize how well they work and you have that experience with them it makes sense to also maybe you know start your own sort of grown and hands-on experience like yourself giving you know the dry material out to patients for teas or to take to associate yourself with them and then as we, you know, it becomes more relative for you, we become more confident. We use it more, don't we, as well? So that's only a good thing for phytotherapy. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you today for uh, all this valuable info and a little few extra super tips around further about, I know, our restorative herbs that our adaptogens come into that, anti-anxiety herbs come into that. 
and looking forward to our next installment of the Revitalize so all about energy and how we get back up on our feet after restoring. <laughs> for everyone that's tuned in today, please join us again. Watch, listen to this episode and then join us again and we'll love to have you all. Thank you, Phil, and I hope you enjoy Thanks, the rest Shana. of your afternoon and we'll be seeing you again very soon. Take care, everyone. Kakite. <laughs>